Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to the MBN Entrepreneurship and Leadership Channel. As well as new content, we are making available selected podcasts recorded by our hosts prior to joining the MBN family. This is one of them, and so this podcast may refer to itself with a different name and identity. Enjoy the show. The centre of innovation is here, and you know this is part of the message of Project Cashmere of this whole podcast that there's something happening here which is beyond just good value for money. Like I said, having the vision is great, but the key is these concrete initiatives that drive it at the ground level. I think Paul and all these people who are really, they do extremely well with very limited resources and we can take advantage of the really low costs here. You know, Poland is the land of opportunity and I, and I like to say the East is the new West because you always used to go West in history to find more adventure and danger and prove yourself. There are some good things beginning to happen here in Krakow, but we've got a very long way to go. Hello again, Project Kajimaj listener. My name is Sam Cook, here with my co-host Richard Lucas, as always. Richard, how are you today? Uh, very, very well. It's 2016, in case you're listening in a distant, <laughs> distant galaxy. Um, we're on planet Earth, I believe. And, and, and we are we a are, uh, lovely summer day in Europe. Uh, Richard and I are based in Krakow, Poland here, kind of the tech startup hub. Speaking to uh, David Nothacker from Berlin, which is... Uh, the big recognized uh, startup hub on continental Europe, at least. There's some, I think, some competition from Sweden and, and London uh, until the Brexit just a few few days ago. But um, this is uh, this is going to be a conversation today with David about uh, a minimum viable product, the struggle that a startup founder uh, has to get through to get product market fit, and uh, also the cool tie-in from here. Uh, is uh, David ended up uh, using a Polish software development house uh, for a very short notice, high pressure project, and they came through for him. Uh, so he's a huge fan of Polish software developers uh, to help startups build their minimum viable products. So we're going to tell that story today, a uh, story about a Swiss, no, you're German, who was raised in Lugano, Switzerland, speaks Italian, and now lives in Berlin. Uh working with Polish developers. So quite an international uh, story here and look forward to diving right in. So David, welcome to the podcast and just tell us a little bit about yourself and your company that you founded. Richard, Sam, thanks for having me. So um, I'm the founder of Sender. We do same day parcel delivery across Europe. So we do what the DHL does just quicker. The idea of the startup was born out of the MBA program that I attended last year. Uh, we were doing a project for the founder of Blablaka, Frederick Mastella, and um, we had the idea of utilizing existing infrastructure that is anywhere on the road, uh, also in parcel logistics. And so we came up with Senda. Great. And what, what, what was the, usually every business has a has a sort of painkiller concept. Um, what, why were you aware of the demand for this? Is it that it doesn't exist or that it, it exists but it's very expensive? What, what was the genesis of the problem you're trying to solve? Yes. So in any type of business transaction, we see that things are getting quicker and quicker. So user, especially consumers that order online, expect also deliveries to be delivered 
quicker and quicker. Now, the big incumbent players uh, struggle to offer same-day delivery because their operation optimized on next day and two days deliveries. So they have spoken hub system and they do everything overnight and it's very, very efficient. But to offer same-day delivery, to offer the speed, you have to connect a warehouse to a, to a city directly with direct connection and this has to happen around lunchtime so that uh, the, the, the end customer who orders online gets his parcel with, uh, before dinner between 7 and 9 p.m. Got it. So basically it's a global trend towards uh, faster and faster. That's, and, and you said using existing infrastructure. Are you actually using peer-to-peer -peer people like Uber or BlaBlaCar or actually using courier trucks? Um, who, who, whose infrastructure are you using? Uh, that's a good question. Peer-to-peer -peer is a very nice, let's say, starting point. Unfortunately, it's not scalable and reliable in the same-day business. So what we do is uh, on the line hall, which is the part between cities or a warehouse in a city, we use uh, empty capacities on long-distance buses and uh, for small parcel volumes. And once a bus gets full, larger parcel volumes, we use vans and trucks that are anywhere on the road that we just incorporate in our system and for the first and last mile. So for example, from the bus to the uh, homes or house of the, the recipient, we use city careers, city messengers that with bikes and cars then do the last mile and deliver it to your home. This sounds like a really, really good idea, but extremely tough to execute because you're having to negotiate with like bus companies, with different companies like you know, who are like there might be issues of liability, of um, issues of reliability for you or them if something goes missing. Reliability, not your prices aren't that high, so not a lot of money to compensate. At least on your website, I see same day delivery nine euros ninety Berlin to Hamburg. So you're not talking about a lot of fat to spray around <laughs> to pay everyone off. So how, how did you get into the business of, how did you manage to persuade people to come on board and how difficult was it to get to sign people up? Well, that was a difficult part because we connect people that have been doing either completely different type of business or a similar type of business for many years. And this is why, and this is the connection to the MVP, it was very important that we quickly showed that on top of being able uh, to, to, to come up with a nice business model and perhaps prepare a nice business plan with an, and a few good-looking slides, we're also able to execute quickly something. And this is why, as a condition for our investors and our uh, bus partner, we had to show that within a couple of weeks, we'll be, we, we were able to, on one side, generate demand, find customers, and the other side have a platform that was able to integrate all the different players in the in the, in the, the delivery chain. And this is why, uh, yeah, we had to create uh, very quickly uh, a prototype, an MVP. And um, initially, we tried to do that with um, uh, a developer that we met from France, who at a certain point more or less yeah, struggled, and hence we had to decide to get some professional help. And we looked at different options and we found an amazing company in Poznan called Abzumi. And they uh, did an amazing job when in a couple of weeks uh, by working also over the weekend, they managed to get uh, an MVP uh, up and running. 
And uh, this allowed us to convince on one side investors, on the other side, our bus partner and the first and last mile partner uh, to give us an uh, exclusivity on that as well. Very interesting. That's, so, so your MVP was between a couple of cities. Was it, is it just Berlin, Hamburg, or have you got multiples? Is that your route you picked for your for demonstrating the viability of the concept? Exactly. So Berlin, Hamburg was our first line hall. In the meantime, we already have a few other line hall or cities that we connect. Uh, but we do this mainly for a few large e-commerce and business customers, and we do not offer this yet to the public. Uh, so um, the website is still the one that we actually developed uh, together with Abzumi, which is perfectly fine, uh, shows our capabilities, our concept on a small scale. Okay, and what, what sort of level of business do you need to break, break even? I imagine if you, if you send 10 parcels a day, you're not going to be making a profit. Have you got a, calculate, a break-even calculation in terms of... Absolutely. Um, a lot of people say that logistics is about, uh, it's a numbers game. Um, I would argue that it's a utilization game. So the big advantage we have is that we can use buses on the line hall. And buses uh, give, allow us to only use the capacities that we actually need. So we, if we only send five parcels, our unit costs are more or less the same as we send 100 parcels with a van. So our break-even cost analysis on an operating level, so forget about the overhead and everything that comes, we, are, we break even um, uh, starting from five parcels per, per, per delivery per day or per route per day. Mm-hmm. And this differentiates us from a DHL that needs large volumes in order to achieve the efficiency they, they have today. Mm-hmm. David, you're, um, you, know, you, you, you came into this project uh, in, a, in a very, um, I, w- I would call it, uh, lean startup methodology way, uh, coming out of a, a, an MBA program. Um, Talk a little bit more for the listener who's not familiar with Lean Startup and Minimum Viable Product, which is what MVP stands for. Uh, You can take a step back and give the theory behind the business uh, and what you executed, because it's really, to me, uh, really kind of a textbook example of how to get up and running, uh, get investment, and and really prove a concept. And just take a step back a little bit about your business training. You were also a consultant before this. Uh, consulting large corporations. So um, I have a lot of friends that have amazing startup ideas and and spend a lot of time in in trying to identify a perfect product, a perfect solution, and, and, and got lost in the process. So the concept of lean startup is really to get something out on the market as quickly as possible, as basic as possible, to understand if the market actually needs that, if the process you imagine actually works, if the pricing that you have in mind is actually accepted by the market. So this product market fit you mentioned before is crucial and this is something that you have to understand as quickly as possible and the only way to do it is just to really go to your clients and say, hey, why don't you try this? Even if it's very basic, very simple, so far away from the ideal concept that you have in mind, but it's something you need on one side to understand if your product is really needed and how you can really develop it to make it perfect and, and base this on the market. And the other reason why this is extremely important is to get investors and partners and the support you need, need 
um, uh, on board as quickly as possible. Um, it can be investors, it can be um, uh, clients that support you in, in the development of, of, a, of a first product. It can be a lot of other, uh, let's say, partners that you need in order to build your product. They want to see something that you already tested, that you went, uh, that, 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 where you can show that it actually worked before they invest any time or commit to anything. Well, David, talk, bring us back a little bit to your initial investor. Now, as I understand it from previous conversations, you had an investor who gave you a little bit of money to get started, and there was a second round due. Um, okay. Had you had any personal friends and family money in before that profession? Well, I guess you call it angel investor who, who gave you one and then asked you to prove the concept before they gave you the rest. And talk a little bit about that. High Wire okay. Act. I know that investing at the beginning is always a great adventure. Absolutely. So if you look at the investment or the funding option for a startup, um, I would identify four different ones. The first one is the triple F, which I, in my case, would extend to the four F. Uh, it's family, friends, fools. In our case, also faculty, because we had um, our MBA professors that, that supported us. And of, course, is, of course, they weren't stupid, were they? <laughs> uh, I mean, the, the question is why they invest. It's either because they would just believe in, in, in you know, entrepreneurship and want to foster that, or because they really believe in in, in, in the business model. But I any think case, we should coin uh, that. Friends, family, fools, and faculty. That's a great idea. So. <laughs> I was thinking of other words beginning with F that I thought, I, yeah. was, I was wondering what you were going to say it to. <laughs> Anyway, uh, it's it's important to understand that in, in the, the first money you collect is money that you collect not only because you have a good business idea, but it's because you have people that just tr believe you and, and trust in your capabilities. And this was our first first basic round that allowed us to came, come up with an MVP and just show that what we had in mind actually worked and to I'm, be honest I'm, I'm guessing sorry to interrupt I'm guessing that was like in the region of 20 to 50k euros something like absolutely. that absolutely exactly so this is the first step so the first one is between exactly 20 to max 50,000 and it is really small people friends your neighbors whoever you can convince to give you a few thousand how much equity did you have to give away to or do, did you sell for that yeah, so typically, uh, what, since they're family, friends, and, and fools, you can, you can push for convertible round, meaning that um, you collect the money and receive it sort of as a, as a loan. And then in, in a second step, when you have more professional institutional investors come on board in a, in a later uh, moment, you have a proper valuation. You know how much your idea is worth. And then there's a conversion. So the money they invested, the loan, becomes equity, of course, with a discount or an interest rate or both, and uh, with some caps and so on and so forth. So this is the first type of, of, of funding you have for startups. The second type is more angels. Angels, uh, which typically invest between, I would say, 50 and a few hundred thousand, three, four hundred thousand. Angels, they're different type of angels. They're very, let's say, professional angels that made a lot of money with their own startup and now want to support young entrepreneurs. Uh, they typically want an equity round or the other uh, angels that come from different business anger sides of the industries. They just want to go into to, uh, startups because they find it very exciting and because they believe they can add some value to it. And here you can still uh, uh, get uh, them to, to sign a, a convertible note. 
The third type of financing would then be um, family offices, which is actually something people don't think too much of. But it's interesting because family offices typically don't invest millions in, 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 in a single startup, but they don't even invest less than 50,000 or 100,000 because uh, the effort is, 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 is too high to do, go, do all the due diligence and so on. Uh, so family office is a very interesting uh, third um, uh, category of investors, uh, especially right now uh, as they have to diversify the investments and startups is a high risk asset class. But um, uh, after you have proven that you, you have uh, a product that somehow works, uh, you can also get family offices on board. And of course, the fourth type of uh, investment or funding opportunity startup has is uh, VCs or institutional for investors. And, and what stage are you at now? Have you had a, have you had a funding round recently? Sam's up to date on this. I'm not. But li- so you, you had your seed round. You raised between yeah. so like 20, 30, 40k euro, which got you to the MVP. And are you still fundraising or is it closed now? No, I mean, uh, after the fundraising is before the fundraising, as I say, in, in the startup world. So we're f- raising right now, seven digit. Um, we have the commitments, paper signed, but there's so much that can happen until you see the money on your bank account. Uh, absolutely. Keeping so, but, my fingers crossed. Uh, but, but, that, uh, but, but I mean, I'm, I'm quite well connected to investors in a country that used to be called the United Kingdom, as well as well as um, as well as uh, here in in Poland. And what sort of what sort of valuation are you are you looking at right now? Because this will determine there might be some people who are desperate to get their sterling into something valuable. <laughs> get it, get their sterling into euros. Forget forget the risk, right? It, it, it's very difficult to, to come up with an evaluation for a young startup. Um, things such as discounted cash flows or multiples or so on, all things that are in theory perfect, but uh, um, as a former consultant, I can tell you that an Excel sheet is easily um, of course, of course, manipulated. Uh, so it, uh, evaluations, um, I would say, in, in the first year range between half a million and probably a million uh, in year one to two, depending on how much traction you have. It's I, between, but I'm talking about your yeah. specific business center, um, uh, you, not not in general, but you specifically. Yeah. And what, okay. what just like what 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 are you raising money at right now? Because if it's like ten million euros, probably people won't be interested. If it is two or three, I know a lot of people who'd be interested. It's uh, it's between uh, let's say three and five million. Okay, let's put it that way. Okay. Once and, I have the bank money in my bank account, happy to share the full. Okay, case, that's but. that's fine. But I I do know people who are in logistics businesses to which this might be might be quite complementary. So uh, if, if the topic's open, I, I I I obviously if it sounds like you're very close to closing, and I hope the money arrives, um, and then then you'll just have and and in terms of your 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 team and strategy, <laughs> how, how many people have you got with you at the moment, and what will you do once you've got the money to hire more people? Um, so right now we are 10 people in three locations, um, Berlin, Hamburg, and then we have a second, a third hub that we just opened. Uh, with the funding uh, we would receive, we of course would try to scale and increase our network so the numbers of cities we connect. So a lot of money would get into creating this uh, infrastructure and team that ensures quality and on-time delivery. And then of course also IT 
uh, is something uh, very expensive <laughs> and very important at the same time. So uh, we would probably hire at least one more developer uh, and uh, get another few interns that support the IT team. Okay, so so that that's very interesting. In in terms of your sort of um, your strategy, are you going to focus on the German market, or are you are you looking at other other markets uh, beyond Germany, or do you want to get s significant in Germany before you start moving out to other countries? So our objective is to get abroad by the end of this year. Our business model makes even more sense on cross-border shipments uh, for two reasons. On one side, uh, because DHL and all the other logistic uh, providers are extremely expensive when you want to ship something next day to uh, another country. And the second reason is why uh, we are also very interesting for overnight uh, deliveries, so like overnight express deliveries. Uh, where DHL is either extremely expensive or a little bit slower than we are. So um, uh, this is uh, we have two cash cows in our business model. One is the uh, the cross border uh, business, and the other one is the B two B business for people or businesses that have to send spare parts, important documents, contracts, this type of things uh, that currently use couriers that drive with one van from one city to another with just one spare part in, in the car trunk and that's crazy expensive and, and, and we can do that significantly cheaper of course the prices at which we sell it is slightly higher than the, than the price you mentioned before. Okay so basically international you're both like I said, it sounds very attractive but you can you can make money even in the domestic market and I just certainly the the price it doesn't sound like a lot 10 euros to go from Berlin to Berlin to Hamburg or vice versa, same day, sounds pretty attractive, doesn't it? it I mean, it is attractive. We cover all our operating expenses. Um, uh, of course, with this product, we do not really have a big margin to cover our overhead. But um, startups, especially in Berlin, do not have to make money from the first year. So uh, it's, it's more about where you can take the company and uh, how you can scale it and we think we can scale it uh, especially in a cross-border and in, in the career and the business-to-business -business segment and just use uh, the, the domestic e-commerce uh, approach uh, for, 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 for testing and scaling and getting the partners on board that, uh, because they require volume and the volume is in, in, in the domestic e-commerce segment. Definitely. And um, well, what about your um, customer acquisition process? How do you, how do you how do you sign up um, people, or what's your plan for getting people to become your customers? So we are business to business. Uh, let's say business, <laughs> uh, meaning that we acquire on one side e-commerce platform competitors of Amazon, Zalando, and Co. Uh, and on the other side, we acquire business customers, those that send spare parts and documents, through Korean networks that already serve this customer with a full line of products, which does not only include same day, but everything else. And so our customer acquisition uh, is just by approaching um, either the head of operations and big e-commerce. We have a list of, I don't know, top 100 e-commerce in Germany, and we go one by one. And uh, we, there's always the question whether you should approach the CEO or the CEO or the head of operations because what we notice is that head of operations typically have a very busy schedule and, and, 
um, including a new delivery option in, into the uh, operations um, is perceived as uh, very complicated. So sometimes it's easier to go through the CEO uh, who then takes the decision uh, to, to, to include same day in, into the uh, shipping portfolio and then uh, everyone else has to execute and then sometimes it's much quicker than uh, by, uh, if, if you approach directly the responsible for operations. And are your customers allowed to charge what they like? I, I remember when my brother worked at the Economist Intelligence Unit in Vienna many years ago, the most profitable product in the, in the range was express delivery, where people would pay 100, 100 pounds for express delivery, which cost them 25 or something like that. that you know, do, can your, can, if if uh, your client wants to mark up your prices, are they allowed to do that? Um, absolutely. In the B2C, in the e-commerce product that we sell for 10 euros or less, um, it, it, it's rare, maybe uh, some e-commerce add one or two euros just for, because of the internal logistics. Um, but for the B2B product, which is the one we sell together with these Korea uh, networks or companies, of course, they, they add uh, their own markup. And uh, here they, in theory, could also sell, uh, let's say, a parcel uh, for a dedicated, let's say, as, as a dedicated parcel that goes with one vehicle, with one driver from A to B, and then use us instead uh, and save a lot of money, but still charge the same price to, to the final customer. That's, of course, possible, but more on the B2B side, on the, on the yeah, career just to be, side. Just to clarify your B2B sales process, it sounds to me like you're, it's old school. You're calling people up and going and seeing them rather than doing, I don't know, webinars and online targeted. Uh, Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Old it's school. much cheaper on one side. Uh, it's, uh, the advantage of this is it's cheaper. You don't need, to, you don't need big marketing budgets just you know to, to, to get your product to the end customer you just have to find e-commerce the downside is that it takes a long time it takes much much longer to convince a business an e-commerce for example to uh, offer you a same day solution uh, it takes weeks months uh, too long for us uh, but uh, this is the type the difference between b2b sales and b2c sales when you have an end customer marketing you can throw in a lot of money and just reach the customer and just push it. Uh, while B2B, uh, it, it's less expensive, but it takes much, much longer. And typically, the, the customer lifetime is much, much longer. Once you have someone that integrates your IT solution into the system, they're going to stick with you for a long time. If you sell a new fragrance or a new ice cream, you can put a lot of money into it and to market it. And a lot of people might buy it one day just to try it because, you know, they hear and see it everywhere but then don't buy it uh, regularly. So this is the two difference, let's say, the, the main difference between B2C and B2B sales. Well, David, just, uh, just want to, um, you know, first of all, congratulate you for uh, getting to the cusp of, a, I guess you'd call this a, a Series A round, or maybe it's a big angel round. I'm not, not sure wh which one it is. But, um, you know, one of the interesting things for our listeners in the story is is the, the international nature of your story, the, the, the Polish uh, uh, development. So I, I'd like to dig into that a little bit more. So back in the scenario where you where you were 25 to 50,000 euros in seed funding, friends, family, fools, and faculty, um, you had another investor lined up or a potential investor. Was that an angel investor 
uh, yeah. that was committed to giving you something if you showed them something? Um, uh, absolutely. Uh, was the case. We had uh, two family offices that were very much interested. Uh, we promised when we started the discussion, not more than promised, we mentioned that we would uh, get an MVP up and running by a certain day. And while we were in the discussions over, over, over the days and weeks, um, this was just perceived as a very important milestone, which uh, would show whether we can deliver on what we promised. So at the end of the day, we had, of course, like it frequently happens, some issues with, with the key development, the, the in-house one, if, you, if I might call it this way. And then we had needed a quick solution with, uh, I think it was two weeks to go. So, so you had you had missed a deadline, and you were talking to I think p- people outside of Germany. Uh, the the family offices is probably a unique investment category uh, in the U.S. You'd probably call that angel. There might be some family angel offices, but you're talking about the famous German Mittelstand, right? Where you have these family companies that aren't public that make a lot of money and I guess have a lot of spare cash, right? Um, more or less. Uh, family offices are defined as um, asset managers that collect money from a couple of wealthy uh, um, families that come from the Mittelstand, but can be also, I don't know, big uh, big companies, DAX companies, stock-traded uh, uh, companies that just want to invest their money in different asset classes in a different way, so they say, okay, 30% of my money goes to you. Some other families put the money together and then they have, uh, let's say, a joint pool uh, in, uh, that they can use to invest in all different asset classes from real estate to equity to natural resources and more and more startups. Yes, I mean, the, the, the middle stand might be one source of capital for, for the family offices, but not the, not the only one. Can you just rewind a bit? You mentioned you were working in consulting before. What, yeah. was your, what was your career like before you went to business school? What was your background? And when did you decide that startups were something that you were deciding to get, actively get involved in? <coughs> Have you always been an entrepreneur or was it like a, a later development in your life? So I always wanted to do something entrepreneurial. Um, so I studied business. Easy, easy study, a uh, lot, lot of fun. Uh, then I realized, okay, university gives you a good background. The university uh, allows you to develop your, your, your mental uh, analogical skills, how to structure, how to think, how to solve complex problems. But it was still far away from from real uh, business, from the real business world. So uh, what I had to do was um, to learn how how to really work. And uh, then um, after talking to other people, I understood that consultancy was actually the best school after university, as you could get exposed to a lot of industries, to a lot of projects. Uh, a lot of different type of seniorities within companies, and you had the possibility to do this or have a new project every few months. So uh, start over again in, in something new and, 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 and take the learnings you had and apply them. So in consulting, I learned a lot, and I'm really thankful for that. I learned to to structure things in, 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 in a much better way uh, than before. Uh, I, I, I learned to work in a clear, precise uh, way, minimizing error as much as possible, 
um, I, I got exposed to a lot of, uh, let's say, seniorities from senior CEOs of big, big companies to very, let's say, simple people working on, on the production line, um, uh, different cultures, different, uh, let's say, way of working. So I, I, I had the opportunity and was very lucky to see different side of business. And this allowed me to probably see more in very little time. Uh, of course, there were some downsides. Uh, the working hours were quite tough. Pressure was significant. Uh, and, and then the traveling was, was, was a lot. So um, at the, while I was uh, in consulting, I decided to launch my first startup uh, in Switzerland. It was a very small startup delivering uh, fruits and ingredients to, to households and offices. I did that almost remotely uh, with my brother and two other people on the ground. I sold that company then a year later. But then I realized that I actually wanted to do something entrepreneurial and that consulting was cool, but the learn if, learning curve were getting flatter. So I had the opportunity to, to do an MBA and uh, I took it as on one side a year off just relax, enjoy life again a little bit more, and on the other side, have some time to explore entrepreneurial opportunities. Yeah. Mm. So how, how many, were, were you with a big name consultancy like McKinsey, Bain, or Roland Berger, or was it like a smaller one that people might not have heard of? Um, if you consider Roland Berger one, Roland Berger a big one, then, then yes, I was with Roland Berger for almost four years. Okay, so for four years of that, and you know, I, I think it's also worth for people listening to, to think, you know, it's a, if you can get it, it's not that easy to get a job in these big consulting companies, like the ones we've mentioned. But if you can do it, uh, I, I see that was a great. People really like my comment. There's a roar of applause from the, the studio audience. It doesn't always happen, but I was just saying that uh, I, I worked for a, uh, a year and a half or a year in, in consulting before I moved to Poland. It wasn't a a great experience in many ways, but it does give you a bit of variety and, and, and compared to working in a regular company, you probably have more diversity. Um, and, and, uh, but you might, did you, um, financially, was it possible to get through all this without tons of debt? Because you, you were studying in Switzerland and Germany, right? So these aren't cheap places to live. I, and and it sometimes can be quite a challenge these days to be a student and if you leave your studying time with lots of debt and you need to raise the capital for your startup, that's not so easy. Or do Yeah, so when you're in a startup, you, you face one problem at the time. So I was sponsored by Roland Berger to do the MBA. Uh, after the MBA, they've been very, let's say, um, supportive and uh, postponed, let's say, the repayment of my sponsorship in tranches uh, till, uh, yeah, mid of this year. And uh, in a few weeks, I will have to start paying back my main sponsorship. But uh, that's in a few weeks' time. Before that, I have so many other problems I have to address. <laughs> that, also... Also, for anyone listening who's representing a company, that's a great example. We like spreading good practice. The idea of a, a company that supports you through an MBA, then if you decide not to go back, is also reasonably generous. That's a great advert in terms of employer branding because you know that's the sort of company that anyone smart would consider working for if they're going to treat you that well. So uh, that's a slight hat tip for good corporate practice by, by Roland Berger. I didn't know that, but it sounds like a smart thing to do because obviously you'll feel much more loyal towards them than if they'd, they'd try to take you to court or something like that, right? Absolutely. Uh, I was very lucky. Um, I know that this does not always happen and I was very, very lucky. 
but on the other side, I also have to say that one thing I learned in consulting is that almost everything is possible. You just have to push the right button at the right time with the right, let's say, yeah, pressure. And, uh, and, 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 and maybe multiple times. Uh, uh, but a lot of things are possible, even if uh, people say, no way, uh, we don't do that, and these kind of things. So not only when it comes to sponsorship or, or the company being supportive, also in terms of professional development within a big corporation or when you have your own startup, um, it, you can push a lot. You can push much more than I actually initially thought. Uh, you could push people, companies, partners, clients, and whatever. Uh, and that was actually one of the big learnings I had out of consulting. Yeah, that's a great. That's a great thing. Always remember to push. If you write the sort of, it's supposed that you regard yourself as a success story in three or five or seven or mm -hmm. ten years' time. What's going to happen? Are you going to exit to like sell to a big logistics company like DHL, or are you going to raise lots of money and go public and buy DHL, <laughs> or, or, or or and then assuming you do whatever. Thing would be successful with your current business are you then going to become an angel investor or are you going to like are, are you like driven to build bigger and bigger companies what, what how do you see it unfolding if it goes the way you want it to go well if i have if i stay within the 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 area of possible let's say realistic outcomes i would say that within the next 18 months we have one of the big logistic players coming uh, on board as initially as partner. Uh, there are a lot of synergies uh, that, uh, that can be used. Uh, the sales channels uh, can be leveraged and so on and so forth. So that would be uh, the first step. And this is something we also saw with other successful startups in the logistics space. And of course, in the mid to long term, we would probably have an exit either completely to this logistic partner that came on board or to any other, uh, let's say, partner or even customer we have we have right now. Uh, for example, would completely make sense for our last mile uh, provider, which is an Uber for parcels, to uh, to take over also, let's say, our type of business, which is uh, on one side slightly competing with them, but also offering the possibility to connect cities. They only work within cities. Then we have bus companies that could be interested in in taking over, let's say the business we have the ubers of this world that perhaps would like to go into parcel delivery and want to let's say have access to 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 parcels that are already on on the road uh, can we a blah blah car it can there, there are a lot of let's say uh, exit opportunities at least, at least we see a lot of exit opportunities also because logistics is a market which is not too sexy and there's not too many things that happened, uh, especially if you look at everything but the last mile, the delivery within cities. We hear about drones and, 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 and robots and so on, but it's all last mile specific. Everything else, the line hall, the part between cities where our core competence is something new. And I think a lot of uh, potential investors uh, could find synergies and a strategic interest in, in us. So our objective is within the next 18 months to get a strategic partner on board and have an exit probably in the mid to long term also because my co-founder is a medical doctor uh, who has actually nothing to do with, with, with logistics and sending parcels. And myself, I'm also, let's say, new in, in, in the logistics industry and, I, and it's not an industry where I see myself in, in 20, 30 times. might be the case, but... Uh, 
right now I, I see just the opportunity and then I want to execute it efficiently. So where do I see myself in 15, 20 years? Perhaps uh, as an angel investor with uh, a nice family, uh, drinking uh, every evening a nice glass of wine somewhere nice and reviewing business plan and supporting young startups. Okay, well, I, I, I can tell you, I, I, I guess you must be, what, 28, 30, 32, that sort of age? Am I right? Yeah, 28. 28, I guess, guess okay, you, you look, I guess, right. It, it could be embarrassing if I was way off, but uh, 22 years down the line, you'll be, you'll be crouching in the corner of a co-working space in Krakow doing a podcast interview, <laughs> like the, the nice glass of wine. Doesn't might it? be the case. It might be the case, but if you're, anyway, I, I don't know, we're almost out of time now. Sam, do you want to ask a final couple of questions and we'll wrap? Yeah, David, I, I just wanted to go back to your, um, you know, MVP experience. Uh, we, we were going to finish that thread up. Um, before we went back into your, your prior experiences. Um, how, how big a difference did it make to you uh, to get that angel investor on board after, or the Mittelstand or the family offices on board? Um, you had two weeks to do this. Uh, tell me the uh, emotions slash focus that you had to apply during those two weeks and face uh, knowing that it... it it might have been the end of the road if you didn't do it. Uh, just give a little yeah. story to close it out. Well, the, the Polish developer experience. Yeah, so every day could be the last day in the life of a startup, especially if it's a, it's a young startup. So back then it was very, very early early days for, for us. And uh, it was only the only hope we had to get funding and, 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 and the only reason why Nicholas and I would continue working on this project. So we were quite stressed uh, um, and, and we needed external support and we realized that and in and, and the moment uh, we, we, we started working with, with the Polish team, we, we noticed a huge difference compared to our, let's say, relatively young in-house uh, developer that was doing this on a, on a part-time basis. And uh, having a, a team of professionals that specialized in different areas from front-end to back-end to testing to whatever you needed uh, um, was, was, was impressive um, on one side because they were great as a team so they knew how to work together on the other side the efficiency gain that, 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 that you have by having a team that is specialized in something is, is quite impressive so um, what I did I, I took a train from Berlin uh, to 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 Poznan and uh, spend a couple of days there with with the team. I think that's also very important. Uh, the, the, this, this the understanding of uh, the, being in close proximity to 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 who develops it because there are a lot of things that you do not anticipate. You don't think of when 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 you design a product. So that was a, a great experience for me as well to be be there with the team and work until late at night and also a weekend, a full weekend uh, to, to get everything done on time and uh, um, eventually everything was good even with some basic testing, product quality and so on uh, we, we, we were able to actually launch on time and uh, to be honest, Sam, I don't know if you know that I planned like three, four days, let's say um, uh, buffer time just in case the team did not uh, deliver on uh, the Polish team did not deliver on what they promised, so actually we we, we finished everything uh, four days before before the actual deadline that we that we 
promised uh, the, our investor. Well, it's, it's always nice to finish a project ahead of schedule. Uh, that's, that's very rare uh, in the world of IT deadlines. And um, yeah, it's a great story. Uh, you and Wukish, we'll, we'll, we'll certainly have him on later in the podcast. Uh, you know, they just won an award last year at AppZumi for, I think, well, one of their clients won the award for best medical app of the year, which they developed, Meaty. And uh, they work on a lot of big and small projects, minimum viable products and big stuff. So um, it, it's been great to watch, David, you know, as I've uh, learned that story, knowing both you and Wukish very, well, Wukish very well and getting to know you well. It's great to watch your progress and the continued, um, you know, social slash uh, just friendly contact you have with the team. It's great to see the bridges mm -hmm. being built with uh Germany and, and Poland on the tech IT world. It, it's it's been if you spend, a great story. If you spend such intense time with someone, with a team or so, you create some, some you know, a special relationship and also a special friendship, I would almost say. So it, it was tough times, intense times for, for, for both sides. Uh, and uh, since everything worked out better than expected and then... And, 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 and everyone was quite happy. Uh, I think that this this this, this friendship uh, will continue. Okay, fantastic, well, David. Last thing, if if anyone were considering uh, bootstrapping or founding a business in Poland with the tech talent, uh, or even outsourcing some of their their key work here, what would you what would you tell someone considering who might not have heard of Poland? Uh, just just give your your last uh, thoughts on on the Polish tech scene and labor pool. Um, well, the most important thing for a startup is uh, how to be cost effective. And I think uh, Polish developer, the first thing I looked at, the reason why I looked at Poland, because it were, from a price point of view, much more competitive than anything you could find in Germany, uh, UK, and so on. So it was the first approach, the first reason why I actually looked uh, east and, and identified Poland as probably the best place. But then I immediately understood that the Polish developers are not only cheap, so to say, convenient, but they're also really, really smart. Uh, they speak English, which simplified a lot of things. They are very precise in what they do. They're very diligent and, 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 and manage so to say, customer expectation, customer being me, uh, really, really well in a very professional way. So um, I really had an excellent experience with, with the Polish team that I worked with, super professional, super on time, super clean and correct, uh, even sometimes probably too correct. Uh, and, uh, and, 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 and every, every time someone asked me, hey, um, who can you recommend? Uh, I would definitely uh, recommend Absumi, and I'm sure that uh, Poland has a few other of these great uh, development companies that can help um, early stage startups, which are in a particular situation, which need a particular type of product and support. Um, I'm sure that uh, there, there are a few of these out there in Poland. Yes, so certainly are, but we're, we're glad to give the yeah. give give the names of individual ones when they've done a good job. They certainly deserve it, and a client recommendation is worth much more than any any, any kind of advert. And we have to wrap now. I do have a few contacts in the logistics industry that I'll send to you offline after after this. But I, I think uh, I think you're in a very interesting space. You've had a, an insight about a cost a cost impact service improvement for a really big sector. So I, I, I think you're in a nice place and congratulations on where you've got to. 
and thank you very much for your time. And, and David, watch out. I mean, you might have just been interviewed by a very uh, interesting uh, investor and networker here, Richard. So I bet you didn't expect that on a podcast. Well, uh, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I'm we'll looking see. forward to your email. Yeah, I'll, I'll, help, I'll, I'll be helpful anyway, whether or not there's business to be done. I'll, let, I'll make a couple of introductions. For, for those of you listening to this podcast or considering you, you, you might want to be a guest, uh, listen to the magic that might happen. And... Uh, David, thanks again. Congratulations. I look forward to following your journey in Sender and in 10 to 15 years, hearing about you on some uh, hillside in Italy, drinking wine, reviewing uh, Polish startup uh, business plans because you love the, the uh, developers here so much. <laughs> Absolutely. It would be amazing. Thank you, Thank you very much for taking the time and all the best. Okay, Thank bye. you, David. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank and you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Project Kashmir. Brought to you by your hosts, Richard Lucas, that's me, and Sam Cook. If you enjoyed listening, check out additional podcasts on our webpage, projectcashmere.com, or on iTunes, where you can also subscribe so you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review. We welcome feedback and suggestions of new interviewees, whether as comments on projectcashmere.com or via our page on Facebook. This podcast was produced by Adam Zuber, with audio editing by Juan Wally. Thank you again for listening. You know, vision is operating well, but execution is actually the key. The actual process of meeting those people, working with them, is in itself a huge reward. Interaction between the university and the business high-tech community is absolutely fundamental. Diversity creates a healthy ecosystem, and I think that I'm seeing more and more that diversity. It's not just about individuals, but about new individuals, it's about, you know, um, new initiatives. Sometimes they overlap with each other, sometimes they might be cannibalizing each other. But the reality is that you want to have as many as possible, because that accelerates the big picture. We're not going to have everyone in the world here, and in this connected world, we don't need everyone here. But, but the, the, you know, the artists and the designers, the creators, they're very much part of what we what we've got and what we need so if you're listening again somewhere else in the world and you feel you, you're looking for a place where your 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 creative juices will run then 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 this city is certainly a place where you can find yourself and I think you can make history in Poland I think you can be part of something much bigger than you could be a part of in the United States right now not just from a you know going out to San Francisco to make Silicon Valley richer, but but making a new part of the world um, grow at a much faster rate, be a much bigger part of that community and, and making it wealthy, not just for wealth's sake, but for uh, a purpose, which is to make that country's government stronger.